God of creation, we bow before you and wonder when we think of all that you have spoken into existence out of nothing. We think of the universe, the stars, the planets, our own earth, everything that flies above it, everything that walks upon it, everything that swims beneath the waters. All of it is because you said, I want to do that. And you spoke it and it was so. And we bow in wonder before you as the God of our creation. But we bow even more in wonder before you as the God of our salvation who chose to redeem all you had created because you loved it. You loved us. And that we celebrate this day on the day when that salvation occurred through the gift of your Son. Speak to us now through your word, through this story that changed eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Mark. I'm the senior pastor here, and I couldn't be more delighted to add my welcome to those of my colleagues. Thank you for choosing to spend your Easter here at Chapel Hill. It's a chance we have to celebrate the moment that changed eternity forever, for everyone. And so we're glad that you are here, so very glad that you are here, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for coming. Five years ago, I took my wife to Paris for our 25th anniversary. There we are enjoying a crepe, one of many. One of the high points of our time was a a trip to, a visit to that Gothic masterpiece, Notre Dame Cathedral. And the more I learned about it, the more astounding it was to me. They began construction on Notre Dame in 1163. We Americans can't even fathom that kind of time span, can we? And it took them nearly 200 years to complete building that structure. To put that in perspective, if they had broken ground on Notre Dame the day that our forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence, they would have opened the doors the year that John F. Kennedy was inaugurated. Eight generations of workmen lived, worked, and died knowing that they would never see the finished product. But what a masterpiece they produced. The famed flying buttresses which moved the skeleton of the church to the outside and freed the inside up for these soaring expressions of prayer and song and for entire walls that were filled with masterpieces of stained glass that flooded that space with light and with color. For more than 850 years, Notre Dame has been the spiritual and cultural and even the geographical center of Paris. And so I'm sure with all of you, when I turned to the news on Monday, I was horrified to discover that Notre Dame was engulfed in flame. And later on in the afternoon, when I saw the video of that great central spire on fire and collapsing right into the middle of the church, it was sickening. One Parisian put it this way, and I think captured the trauma of the moment for everyone when he said, Paris has been beheaded. It, it was a disturbing way in some ways to start Holy Week, wasn't it? On the other hand, perhaps a very fitting way to start it. Because it is a reminder, Holy Week, that 2,000 years ago, the greatest of hopes and dreams went up in flames. 2,000 years ago, a spiritual revolution, three years in the making, was suddenly beheaded. Jesus of Nazareth, that miracle-working, life-giving, demon-casting, rule-bending, thorn in the side of the religious establishment, was suddenly dead, crucified on a Friday by the enemies who finally got their way with him. 
And were it not for the kindness of a a rich man named Joseph, Jesus' corpse would have been tossed on the burn pile along with all of the other executed criminals. Instead, it was laid in a borrowed tomb and a great stone was rolled over the, the door of that tomb to keep predators out. And that was Friday. And on Sunday, a group of women returned to the tomb. They were all still crestfallen, still heartsick, still broken. But actually, they were now in for the greatest shock of their life. You may have heard this story so many times that the wonder of it has lost some of its luster. But you're about to listen to the most shocking story ever told. And it is true. So would you listen again as if you had never heard it before? It's the story of that first Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on the morning of the first, first morning of the week, When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance to the tomb? But looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting to the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were terrified. And he said to them, Do not be terrified. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Now go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And there you shall see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, the greatest story ever told. Maybe the women shouldn't have been so surprised that morning. It's not like Jesus hadn't predicted this was going to happen. He did many times, many times he told his followers, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be brutalized, I'm going to be killed, and oh yes, by the way, I'm going to be raised up from death to life on the third day. He told them many times. Maybe they shouldn't have been surprised, but perhaps at the time it was just too remarkable. Of course, everything that Jesus did was remarkable. Jesus touched the rotting flesh of lepers and made it smooth as a baby's bottom. Jesus told a man who was paralyzed to stand up and walk, and he obeyed him. Jesus touched deaf ears and made them hear, blind eyes and made them see, a withered arm and made it grow. Jesus spoke to a demon named Legion who had taken up residence inside of a man. He told him, vacate that man, and he did and was set free. And he raised people. From death to life, more than once, a guy named Lazarus, a 12-year-old daughter of a man named Jairus, the young son of a widow in a town called Nain. Jesus taught with power, conviction, passion, wit, like no one had ever taught before. 
And perhaps most revolutionary of all, Jesus loved the people that society hated. He loved the outcasts, the sinners, the rejects, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the shepherds. All that society sneered at, Jesus smiled at and welcomed and forgave. I sat this week with a man, tears streaming down his face, as I reminded him that Jesus loved him, that Jesus had forgiven him. No one, no one, no one ever did what Jesus of Nazareth did. No one ever. The teaching, the miracles, the exorcisms, the resurrections. No one was as powerful, as brave, as loving, as indomitable as Jesus Christ. So when his friends who loved him, who had been touched by him, who had been restored by him, watched as he was spiked to a cross to die, they were gutted. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their aspirations in that moment up in flames. When those women returned to the tomb that Sunday morning, they weren't coming expecting to meet the resurrected Christ. They were coming to finish wiping the gore off of his battered body. They were faithful. They were true. They were brave. But they were hopeless. I wish Jesus' male disciples had been more brave because they were all hiding out. Every one of them hiding out in some cubbyhole somewhere. One of the proofs of the trustworthiness of the Gospels is that it portrays the apostles as absolute cowards in this moment. It's not a very impressive way to portray the guys who are going to be the leaders of the church someday. But there you have it. That's what it was. They were not brave, but it was the women. I wish men were more spiritually brave than we tend to be. Thank God for the women who are. It was the women who came to the tomb. It was the women who were brave. It was the women then who heard those first amazing news that would change forever. Jesus is alive. It was the women. And as we will see next week... And I know all of you will be back next week for Baptism Sunday, right? None of you would miss that. Could I see the hands of those who won't be in church with me next week? (laughs) All right, great. Then I'll see you all next week. As we will see next week, even the women who heard this incredible news didn't know what to do with it. They were still in shock. They didn't believe their eyes. And they didn't even do what the angel told them to do. The idea that this Jesus, whose battered body they had sponged and cleaned and wrapped in a cloth and placed in a a tomb, the idea that it would walk again was impossible. It was hopeless. Last night, last Monday night, surely it was hopeless. I was hearing accounts that the flames were out of control, that the structure would not be able to be saved, that the organ had been destroyed, that the famed glass, the stained glass was exploding. Last Monday, it all seemed hopeless, gone, lost. I sent a text to our daughter, Rachel, and I just asked, had she ever been to Notre Dame in her world travels? And her terse response probably echoed the regrets expressed by millions when she simply answered, no, never did, never will. Lost and gone 
and hopeless. That's what those women felt when they came to the tomb that day. That's what they felt about Jesus. That's what they felt about the future that they had imagined for themselves. It was lost. It was gone. It was hopeless up in flames. I think you'd be amazed at how many people seated here today are feeling the same way about their life. Who are feeling some sense of hopelessness. Maybe even that their life is burning down around them. Of course, it might not be apparent. This is Gig Harbor, after all. We know how to put a nice facade in front of everything, even if behind that facade we are burning to the ground. But I know you, and I know your stories. I know you're fighting cancer. I know those who are fighting for their marriage, fighting for their kids, fighting for their sobriety, fighting for their career, fighting for their reputation. I know you. And there are others out there I do not know. Some of you, for some of you, your beautiful Easter outfits are a mask for a sense of despair and hopelessness. And even if there are some who would say, well, that's a little dramatic, they probably wouldn't go that far, which is probably the guys. I'm not sure I'd talk about it all burning down around me. There are plenty of us who are feeling the pressure to keep up appearances and performances and a pace in our life that is unsustainable. Plenty of us. No one else know it, may know it, but we know the sense of that hopeless pressure of an out-of-control life. The pressure, pressure, pressure. Take a look at this finger. A week ago, as I was getting ready to come to church Sunday morning... I smashed that finger in the door of my car. It was Palm Sunday, and I'm astounded what I managed not to say to kick off Holy Week. But I was thinking it. It's still a sin, apparently. It wasn't long before that finger was just throbbing. I felt my heartbeat coming right off the tip of that joint. Now, no one knew it. I had to preach with that finger feeling that way. I did a lot more pointing than I normally do because I couldn't even bend the thing. No one knew it out there except for the one woman up here who said later to me, why do you have purple nail polish on one fingernail? (laughs) No one knew, but I knew it The pressure felt unsustainable, unbearable, finally. It's amazing, by the way, what a red-hot paper clip that's just driven through the top of your fingernail does to take care of that pressure. Right, I'm getting ahead on it. It was awesome. It was messy, but it was awesome. If your life is burning up, if your life is squeezing down on you and you have begun to lose hope? Could I just say that you are in the right place on the right day? Because Easter is all about hope. It is all about restoration. It is all about life coming up out of the ashes. When I turned on the news Tuesday morning, I could hardly believe my eyes. The fire was under control. The building was going to be saved. The organ was still intact. The windows were in one piece after all. President Macron had announced that it was going to be rebuilt within five years. And by the end of the week, one billion dollars had been pledged for the reconstruction of Notre Dame. It seemed a miracle. What is fascinating, you may not know it, is that this is not the first time that this great cathedral was in dire straits following the French Revolution. Uh, it fell into disrepair and scorn and, dis- and disuse and to the point that it was derelict. 
In fact, Victor Hugo, that great novelist who wrote uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, in part he wrote that novel to draw attention to the condition of this great building that it might be restored. And in fact, he was successful in doing so. But there is a a phrase in uh, Hugo's novel that is memorable. It's it's well known. It's a brief Latin phrase, two words, and simply says, spira, spera, which translated means breathe, hope. In other words, as long as there is breath, there's hope. In the Gospel of Mark, we are told that as Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. No breath, no hope, no future. But in the early hours of that first Easter Sunday morning, as Jesus' cold corpse lay on the stone bed inside of that borrowed tomb, a miracle occurred. The Spirit of God who created all things out of nothing touched that lifeless body. And suddenly that dead heart began to beat. And suddenly the flesh began to warm and pink. And suddenly the eyes began to flutter. And then in a moment that was the most dramatic moment in all of human history, (gasps) Jesus breathed again. And it turns out that that last breath on the cross wasn't a last breath after all. And with that new breath, new hope was born. Spira, spera. Did you know that that same spirit invited you here today? Some of you might believe it was your own idea, that it was just you planning something with your family. But in fact, we believe it is a divine appointment. The Holy Spirit of God invited you to be here today because there are some of you who need to hear this message. Because you look at your own life, honestly, even if you wouldn't let it be known outside, and you say, my life feels like it's burning down. My life feels like it's under unsustainable pressure, and I don't know what to do. Everything I've tried, nothing works. Could I just tell you that I have a good news, good word for you? It is the timeless Easter message. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive for you, and he wants to breathe hope into your life today. That which feels broken, that which feels in derelict, that which feels like it is in ashes, Jesus wants to say, I can do something about that. You let me take it. I will breathe and there will be hope. Surely there are some here this day who long to know the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. That is what Easter is about. That is what Easter is about. Perhaps it's time for you to breathe brave like the women and admit that the course you have taken is not working and surrender to the only one who can do something about it. Would you please close your eyes, everyone, even as a, as a show of respect for everyone around you, close your eyes, bow your heads. And I just want to ask you, honestly, if you're being courageous about your own state in life, if you are telling the truth about where you are, would you admit that the, there's something of this that rings true for you? There's something of this that is honest, is, is right, that, that your life is, is smoldering, maybe even burning up in ways that you are feeling are out of control. If that is you, could you believe it possible that the Spirit brought you here today to give you some hope? And would you be willing to receive that gift in a way that you have never done it before? Would you be brave enough to say, I can't do this, so Jesus, would you please, I invite you.
And if that is you, and if you have the courage, I want to invite you right now to pray a prayer with me. Just pray it silently as I pray it. Jesus, I believe you are alive. And I need help. I need hope. Would you please breathe your Holy Spirit into me? Would you please restore that which has been burned down, squeezed out, and broken? Would you please help me believe that a life that you take control of is better than the life I try to cling to? Would you make me brave enough to ask for the help from the only one who can give it? Jesus, I invite you into my life. Spirit, I invite you to fill me with your power. I ask all of this in the name of the risen Jesus. Now keep your eyes closed. I I want to ask one more thing of you. This is an opportunity for you to confess that this is the beginning of a new way for you. Already scores of people over the weekend have raised their hand to admit that they needed help and they asked the Spirit of Christ to come upon them. And so I want to ask this, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you just prayed that prayer or something like it for the first time, if you said, Jesus, I need you, Spirit, I need hope that only you can give, could I ask you please to just slip up your hand and hold it there? No one is looking but me. I see you. Keep them up. I'm just overwhelmed all across the auditorium. Keep keep them up. Is that you? I thank God for that. I see that. Jesus, you see the hands of those who have been raised. I don't know who they are, but you do. And I pray that this will be the beginning of a fresh start, a new hope that you have offered to them. Thank you for what you have done to make this possible. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. Adore you.